You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. Please stand as we read God's word together. Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your word that we can have truth, Father, and stake our lives on it and find rest in it. I pray that you would open our ears, that we would truly hear from you, and that our hearts would receive what you have for us and that we would be able to live in an even greater freedom than we have until this day. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Renee. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a delight to be able to open up God's word and to spend some time in it together this morning. Well, it's summertime, and I don't know about you, but summers in our family usually means vacations. And a couple of years ago, my wife Tamara and I, we decided to take our kids on an international getaway. Uh, no, not, not one of those international getaways where you get in a plane and you fly somewhere exotic and people drop grapes into your mouth. Not one of those international getaways. Ours was more along the lines of load up the van and we're driving up to the exotic country of Canada. We drove through Iowa and Minnesota, and we tent camped around Lake Superior there, and we spent about a week roughing it in some really interesting places. It was a blast, and it was our international getaway. But because we were going across international lines, we had to get passports. Now, Tamara and I, we already had passports. Uh, Neil wanted to make sure I put a picture of mine up there for some reason, so if you need to... 
you use my passport, there you go. Uh, so we already had ours, because we'd been overseas before, but it meant our kids needed passports. And so we had to take pictures, and you fill out the forms, and you mail it in, and you wait a few weeks, and you hope that the passport comes back in time. And ours very thankfully did. And so we, we got all of our passports, our pass cards, we had them there with us, and we drove up there to, and you can't just enter into a foreign country. I don't know if you know this or not, if you've been to a foreign country, you can't just walk in and say, hey, let me in. You have to go through what's called a port of entry. Uh, Some places at an airport, you've got to go behind the scary guy, behind the glass, and you've got to you know, talk your way into get, getting let in. For us, it was more like a toll guy, a toll gate, like you're going on I-70 in Topeka, where you kind of drive up, and you look at him, and he looks at you, and you're like, yeah, okay, I guess that's fine. So he led us into the country of Canada, and it was great. We had a blast driving around, but while we were there, there was absolutely no doubt that we were not Canadians. There were a few small hints. Uh, one, we kind of had this Kansas accent. Uh, two, we looked around going, ooh, look at that. That's neat. That's neat. Uh, we made lots of jokes about bears and things like that. Not supposed to do that. We didn't speak the language. We didn't speak French, uh, or I my two and a half years of high school French, I thought I did, but we really didn't speak French. Uh, And we were in a foreign vehicle, a foreign license plate. We were foreigners in their country. And while we were traveling around, I I was hoping, because we spent all this time getting our passports, I was hoping somebody would actually ask us for our passports. You know, passports and papers, please. Nobody ever did that, but we were ready. We had our names on it, they had an American passport. We were traveling in a foreign country under an American passport. We were, we were there legally, we were supposed to be there. It was a, a good thing for us to be there. We were traveling not under a Canadian passport, which would have made sense, but under an American passport with that information on the front of it. And as we've been walking through the book of Romans, Paul has been describing that, that all of us are traveling through life in a very similar way. We're traveling through life with a certain passport in our hand that, that's telling us who we are. That's tell, describing to us not just our, our picture, and kind of what we look like, but also our name and our country of origin. Each of us has a, a passport that when we're born says that we belong to a certain country, the certain nation, the certain people. And when we're born, each of us, we're born to the country and nation and people of Adam. That's what the Bible has been describing. And in Romans 5, we were told that we were of Adam when we were born. We're part of the lineage and line of Adam, back from Genesis. But for Christians, for those who are following Christ, Romans tells you that you have traded in your passport for a new one. That you have in your hands a passport that no longer has Adam's name on the front, but you have a passport that has Jesus' name on the front of it. Your nationality, your place of origin changes when you begin to follow Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our our study in the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 7, as Renee has already read for us this morning. We're looking at the first six verses of chapter 7, but as I was talking to someone even already this morning, to really understand chapter 7, we have to know what's going on in the previous chapters, specifically chapter 6 right before it. To really understand chapter 7, we have to have the larger context, and and right in the middle of chapter 6 is a really important verse for us for today. If you have your Bibles there, again, if you're not in Romans 7, please try to get there or open up your app on your phone, but flip back one chapter to Romans chapter 6 and look at verse 14. Because Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says that sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. 
And if we were sitting there hearing this letter read to us there in Rome in the first century, and, and we were kind of a church that was typical to, to the Roman church, about half of us right now would be going, what in the world are you talking about? Because it was a mixed church. There were half of the church were these Jewish believers who grew up Jewish who had follow, begun to follow Christ, and, but half the church were those who were, were Gentile or non-Jewish believers who just began following Christ. They said, yes, we, we choose Jesus. We, they all chose Christ to follow him. They want to make him Lord and Savior, but half of them had a lifetime back behind them of following Jewish laws, the Old Testament law. Because most of their life, almost all of their life, practically every aspect of their life was impacted by the Old Testament law. But Paul here is saying, Oliver, sin's not going to have dominion over you because you're not under the law anymore. You are now under grace. And then he skips away from that for a few verses and finally gets back to it here in chapter 6 to describe what does it mean for us truly to not be under the law but under grace. And as chapter 7 begins to unfold, uh, something's going to happen here, friends, that may feel a little bit foreign to you. At least it felt a little foreign to me. Paul is going to talk a lot about the law here in chapter 7. Now, if you haven't brushed up on your Old Testament Jewish law here coming in here, it's okay. Most of us haven't here, and that's fine. We're, we're in good, good company here. But 23 times in chapter 7, Paul is going to talk about the law, the commands of the Lord. He's referring back primarily to the Old Testament Jewish law that was given to Moses. And for those who are Jewish, the, the law was the greatest good. It was the mark of God's kindness for his people. They would have studied it with great diligence. They would have regarded even the smallest detail as very important for their daily lives. It was central to anybody that wanted to live a life that was honoring to God. Even all throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish law is exalted and held up, so much so that in Deuteronomy 6, Moses tells the people that they need to obey God's commands, obey the law of God, and, and don't go after other gods and other laws, and if they do, they'll be destroyed. So there's this, this huge pressure on them to follow God's law, to obey God's law, and they did this to the best of their ability. And the result of that was that when Jesus and then eventually Paul walked on the earth, Jews continued to obey and elevate the law. In fact, they did this so well that in many cases it was hard to tell what they loved more, the law that God had given to them or the God who gave them the law. And over the years, they had created this incorrect system of religion that believed a person truly could make themselves righteous and right before God by the exercise and keeping of the law. And they thought they could earn good favor with God, that they could obey enough to have God smile at them, that they weren't all that bad when compared to others and other nations around them. They, they looked okay. They were doing just fine. And they looked at the law and thought, yeah, we can do that. We can do it. But the law wasn't given by God to show how incredible we can be as we obey it. The law was given to us by God to show his character and to truly show how we could never measure up to God's perfection standard and how in need we are of someone outside of ourselves to help us. And so for Jewish Christians in Rome reading this letter, the law had for all their lives given them their identity. It had been what they had done, what they had operated under, what they had believed to be the best thing for in their life. And so Paul finds himself in a difficult position here as he's writing to the church in Rome. 
He wants them to know that they do need to think of the law in a certain way. But they also only have one boss as Christians, one Lord, one authority, and it's not the law, but it's Jesus. And so these first century Christians were trying to add Jesus to their Jewish religion. They're trying to make it the law plus Jesus equals this kind of this super religion. But as we say here at Mill Creek, it's Jesus plus nothing. And that's what Paul is getting them back to. It's Jesus plus nothing. You have to remove the other things that you might be willing or tempted to add to Jesus. And so he said, it's not under the law that you live, but it's under grace. And so Paul is this, I mean, he was a good Jewish boy who grew up into an amazing Jewish man who understood and followed the law better than any other of his peers. He's intent on helping Christians then and now answer this question, how are Christians supposed to relate to the law? What are we supposed to do with the law? And this is our, our big picture view, and I, I want to kind of walk us through these first six verses here in chapter six. And we're going to take it in two different chunks because that's kind of how Paul does it here in his, in his first six verses. He's going to look at verses one to three, and Paul's going to give us a basic principle to answer this question and then an illustration. And then in the verses four, five, and six, the second half, he's going to kind of expand upon that illustration and then give us some application to walk out of here with today. So the first big idea is that he's going to give us a basic principle and an illustration. We find this in verses 1 to 3. So let me, let me read again verses 1 to 3 of Romans chapter 7. Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. And accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So we see in verse 1 that Paul is writing to those who know the law. That's kind of shorthand for saying he's specifically now talking to those in the Roman church who are of Jewish background and Jewish origins. But I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not of a Jewish origin, so, but there's still stuff in here that we're supposed to lean into. So don't like check out now because you're like, oh good, this is just for the Jewish Christians among us. No, this is for us. This is all for us. This is for Christians who want to know how to follow Christ well. And so he says this principle here. He says the law is only binding to those who are alive. And that makes sense, doesn't it? The law is only binding on you. It only really applies to you when you're alive. A dead person is no longer under any law, whether it's the Old Testament Mosaic law or our earthly laws. I mean, if you're dead, you don't have any laws that are hanging over your head anymore. And if you want to break all the laws in the world that you want to, if you think all the laws around you are oppressive, and Paul kind of gives you one option here. He says, well, you can die. It's not a really good option. No one should do this. But like, if you want to avoid following laws, you could die. Paul says, but that's not a great option. That's not what he's saying here. He says the law does apply when you're alive. There are laws that apply to our lives when we are living, but when we die, they don't apply. 
So that's his, his principle here, he says in verse 1. But in verses 2 and 3, he gives us an illustration. And he says that a wife or a woman is bound to her husband by the law when he's alive, but if he dies, she's free from the obligation to him under the law. And then he gives this illustration, he goes a little further, and he says if a married woman goes and lives with another guy while her husband's alive, she's an adulteress, but she does the exact same thing. When her husband's dead, she's free to do so, and she's not an adulteress. And what changes here in Paul's little illustration as he's working through this is that the husband, when he dies, he, it, he sets her free from all legal obligations. She is no longer under the law of marriage to this husband because he is no longer alive. The law no longer impacts that marriage because the law of marriage is gone. One of them has died. The law is gone. So again, remember, the law only binds people when they're alive. Now, now if you're married, perhaps when you got married, you went down the aisle and you repeated some things, and maybe you've forgotten some of those things, but one of the things I, I think you probably said, or something like it was, till death do us part, or as long as we both shall live. And that, that comes out of this principle here in Romans chapter 7, that the law of marriage is binding when two people are alive, but death ends the authority of that marriage law. And so hopefully what he said here in the first three verses really isn't that tricky. It's not that complicated. It's not that, there's nothing hidden in there. It's very straightforward. It's the next few verses where Paul takes this illustration and he kind of goes a little further where it gets a little bit more tricky. So follow along in verses four to six where Paul continues and says, here's what the illustration does and how do we apply this in our lives today? So verse 4 says this, Likewise, my brothers, so again, he's pointing back and saying, yeah, this is a continuation of his thought. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul moves away from the basic principle in relationship to marriage, and he now moves it to the application in the life of a believer, of a follower of Jesus. He says, in the same way that we were living under a certain relationship, but a death has taken place, and now we're free to marry another. And this is real similar to verses 1 to 3. But there is one difference here, and it's a huge difference between verses 1 to 3 and verses 4 through 6. See, in the first three verses, Paul says that it's when the husband dies, the wife is free. But now do you see how he changes the illustration a little bit in verse 4? See, it's not the husband out there, that other person who has died. It's you. Who have died. He says, You also have died to the law. See, it's not that other spouse over there who dies, who sets you free. It's, it's somebody, and his name is you. Paul says, You have died. And, and many of us are sitting here thinking, Well, honestly, I'm pretty much alive, Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm here breathing. I'm looking, I'm talking, I'm online watching, I'm, I'm not dead, I am alive. Paul would say, no, you have died if you are a follower of Christ. 
And he said this very clearly just one chapter before, back in chapter 6, at the very beginning of Romans chapter 6. Because again, Romans 7 doesn't operate in a vacuum all by itself. It operates in the context of this whole letter that Paul is writing. So flip back to Romans 6 if you have your Bible there. Just the first three verses, it's also going to be up on the screen. Where Paul says this in Romans 6 verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Then in verse 5, he says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So in Romans 7, verse 4, it says that you have died. And Paul's already said, here's when you died. Here's where you died. For Christians, our death wasn't when we perfectly obeyed all of God's commandments. It wasn't when we finally kicked that bad habit and we brought some new habits into our lives and finally could get right before God. Our death, according to Romans 6, was on the cross with Jesus where our old self was crucified. That's why Paul is saying, you, your old self, has died. When you put your faith in Christ, you are united with him and your old self, your old nature, your old passport, your old being was crucified with Christ on that cross. And in Christ, you died. And what died on that cross was everything about the former you that God could not tolerate in his holy presence The old you, your old spiritual identity was executed and replaced with a new life, a new you that is alive in Christ. Friends, we didn't do it to ourselves. We didn't kill off our old self and set your new self free. We couldn't do that. We can't do that. This is a divine act of God, a divine act of mercy on our behalf. It was God who carried it out. It's God who rescued you. This is all the work of God. So Christian, when you died, the law no longer had any authority over you. Remember the principle? The law only applies to those who are alive. Because those who are dead are not under the authority of the rule of law. You have died to living under the weight of the law, and you are freed to live now under grace. It's not the law that died But you and I died in Christ to the law. And while it's our husband's death in the first three verses that frees the wife to marry another, in this case, it is truly our death in Christ that allows us to be united to another. Paul says you are no longer bound to the first spouse that you had. You are no longer bound to the marriage law to that first spouse. And who is that first spouse? We've already mentioned it even this morning. The old spouse was Adam. 
It is your old identity. It is your old lineage. It is your old passport that you were linked to. You were married to it. You were under it, and you could do nothing to escape it. And in Adam, we were under the weight of death and sin and law and the wrath of God and under the unrelenting pressure of perfectly living up to God's standards. But verse 5 tells us what it looks like for those who are trying to act as if and live as if they were still in Adam. This is what it looks like to not live under grace but under law. And he says in chapter 7, verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. See, Paul says for those who are walking around with the passport of Adam, while well, you're married to Adam, you're living in the flesh, Paul says one of the, the only outcome that you really have to look forward to is bearing fruit for death. That flesh produces sin and sin is excited and made alive by the law and we'll get to that more next week. And the flesh and sin and law result in the fruit of death. So if you're wondering, what does the passport of Adam get you into? What access does Adam's passport get you? Sin, law, death. But now Paul says, you belong to another. That passport is dead and gone. And through our union with Christ, that old marriage has been severed. While you are once with Adam, you are no longer with him, but you are now in Christ. And verse 4 tells us that you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Friends, I want to ask you to picture in your mind a, a newly married couple, a newly married husband and wife. In the first days or weeks of this marriage, the, the, the new bride finds herself realizing that they have married someone who is absolutely, utterly horrible to her and for her. Instead of entering into the joy of marital bliss, she finds herself being dominated and controlled. And every evening, the conversation kind of sounds like this. What did you do today? Did you do everything I asked you to do? Did you check everything off the list? Did you waste any time? Did you complete everything you needed to do? And day after day and week after week, year after year, there's more extreme demands and expectations. And try as hard as she could, she could never meet them. She never satisfied them. She forgot the things that were important to her husband. She felt like a failure in so many ways. And the problem was that people looking in would say, well, it looks like a good, healthy, young marriage or just working through things. But inside, she was being killed. She was being destroyed. It was a miserable marriage that no one should have had to gone through. And this finger-pointing person held their spouse to an unrealistic set of expectation, a perfection, always pointed at and poked at the places and times where she messed up. Even the ones that she tried so hard to find, he would find them and he would poke at them. 
And worst of all, every night before going to bed, his final words before she drifted off to sleep were, do better tomorrow. But she didn't because she couldn't. But one day, her husband dies, and she is released from that law of marriage. And quickly, a a gentle, kind, patient man has seen her, knows her story, and pursues her, woos her, even has the gall to ask ask her to marry him. But she's got nightmares because her whole being has been crushed, and she can't believe that somebody else would really love her for herself. And in fear and trembling, she says, yes, I will marry you. And on her wedding day, she walks down the aisle. She just prays that he can't see the tears that are welling up in her eye because she is so afraid of what is yet to come. She feels the weight of all the brokenness and the pain of the past years and all the uncertainty of what is to come. As she walks, she stands with lips quivering, just trembling, wondering what's going to be next. If you were the pastor, if you were the person standing in front of those two, what would you say? What could you say to that young woman? I think you could say something similar to this. Look at the person standing beside you. Look at him. The past is gone. Those obligations are finished. Behold, your new husband. Look at him and enjoy your new freedom together. There may be nightmares to come. There may be time when you feel crushed. There may be times in this new relationship when you fail, and you fail miserably, and it will be revealed, and everybody will know. And you might be tempted to hide and run in shame. But dear sister, you're married to him. Not him. You're married to him. The law that bound you to that past relationship is gone forever. And now you belong to each other. Church, this is really similar what it looks like to be a Christian. That once we were bound, but now we belong. Once you were bound to a spouse, to a law, to a life, to a master who was unrelenting, but now you belong under grace to the one who who loved you to the point of dying on the cross for you. He didn't die because you were the perfect bride, the perfect person, the perfect spouse. He died because he is. He died for you and for me. He died so that our lives may no longer bear fruit for death, but may bear fruit for God. And Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but... Maybe lately, or maybe for the most of my Christian life, it doesn't feel as if I'm living under grace. I feel like I'm living under law. 
feel like my religious experience is Jesus plus some other things, and I'm trying to meet those other things. There's this constant battle, perhaps, going on in our minds where we know that we can't live life perfectly. We struggle to string even a couple of hours together when we don't blow it. We've got a hard time remembering to do what the Bible says. And, and even when I do what the Bible says, I look around, it looks like everybody else is following Jesus better than I am. Well, if I'm, I may be so bold, let me offer you a possibility. Perhaps you're looking at the wrong spouse. Perhaps you're looking at the old law. You're looking at your passport that was in Adam and you're saying, why can't I meet up and match up to this? But friends, that passport, that old spouse is dead and gone. And Jesus Christ has delivered you. And the only thing I would encourage you to do this morning, because so far there's not really been anything for us to do here, right? The thing I would encourage you to do, Christian, if you're feeling the weight of following Christ today, I would encourage you to look to Jesus. Don't look for anything else. Don't look to anyone else. Don't look to any other past experience, life, law, Lord, anything else that was back then. Don't even look to your old life and think, oh, that wasn't that bad. Maybe I should go back to doing the things. That old self was kind of nice. I got to do some things. No, 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 friends. Don't settle. Look to Jesus. This passage is proclaiming a beautiful and wonderful truth to us. That if you truly are following Christ, a great exchange has been taken place and you have died your old self has died. It is gone. And while you may want it to crawl off the altar again every once in a while and kind of come back and do some things, it is dead. And Christ has freed you from words like death, captivity, living in the flesh, living under the law, being full of sin. Those words no longer define you. That's not your identity when you are in Christ. For those who are in Christ, you are under grace and you have been released from captivity. You are alive and now you forever belong to Christ. But maybe there's others in this room or watching online this morning who would say, but that, that doesn't describe me. I'm I'm not a follower of Christ. And if I'm tracking along here in Romans chapter 7, this is telling me that I am living in the flesh and I'm bound to this taskmaster of perfection of the law that I just can't measure up to. I'd say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And to you, I would say the exact same thing. I would say, friend, look to Jesus. Look to him. He died for you to forgive you, to release you, to free you from the burden of thinking that you could ever follow the law perfectly enough to earn or gain God's favor. He loved you to the cross because he is that perfect spouse. And if you would believe that Jesus died to free you, that he rose again and defeated death, he will offer you the greatest exchange possible. 
He'll take that old passport that had your name and your face and Adam's emblem on the front of it. He will take that and he will give you a new one. He will give you one that has Christ's name, Jesus' name on the front of it, a, a new place of origin, a new family of history, a new name. No longer bound, but one who belongs. Back in the 1700s, there was a, an English songwriter named John Berridge, who I believe rightly understood this exchange. I love the words that he has written. I think they're so appropriate for us as we close our time together this morning. He understood the relationship between the law and the gospel, and, and he penned these words for himself to remind himself what is true. And he says, run, John, and work, the law commands. Yet, it finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. See, he knew that on his own, he was bound to the law, and living under the law would never end in freedom. It would only end in death. And he knew the only way to be free is to truly believe the sweet news of the gospel and belong to Jesus. Friends, Look to Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for the, the gift of your word to us today. And we do ask, Lord, that in the ways in which we are, are so tempted to look to something else, to either look back or look out for something else to add, Jesus, we ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we do not look to you and to look toward your beauty and your grace, your forgiveness, your new life. Jesus, would you encourage us to do that today for your glory and for our good. We pray this in your name, dear Jesus. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.